0: Future City is made possible by McCormick & Company, a global flavor company helping teach kids and families in Baltimore how to replace salt, sugar and fat with healthy flavors through their Flavor for Life program. More information can be found at mccormickcorporation.com. Future City is sponsored by grants from Josh and Janine Fidler and the Baltimore Community Foundation. Hey,
1: I'm Wes Moore and welcome to Future City. On this show, we discuss the future of our city, Baltimore. What are the emerging trends? What is working? And what isn't? And we change the conversation from what's wrong with Baltimore to what's next for Baltimore. On Future City, we have covered the future of police recruitment, the future of immigration, women's financial equity, the two-party system, and much more. And you can tune into these episodes online at wypr.org slash Podcast Central. According to the College Board, the average cost of tuition and fees for the 2017-2018 school year was $34,740 at private colleges, $9,970 for state residents at public colleges, and $25,620 for out-of-state residents attending public universities. Now, these numbers reflect the stark reality that college is simply becoming too expensive for a growing number of people. CNN Money reports that the average student leaves college with about $25,000 in student loan debt. The monthly payment on a $25,000 student loan is approximately $280, assuming a 6.8 interest payment over a 10-year repayment plan, which can cause serious financial strain if you're not prepared for it. So what's a solution? Consider the relative low cost of a community college education. Average annual tuition and fees for students attending a public two-year college in their community was just $3,260 in 2013-2014. Understanding that, on today's show, we'll be asking big questions about the future of higher education and see how community colleges specifically can possibly play a part in the solution. Our first guest is Dr. Richard Vedder, Distinguished Professor of Economics Emeritus at Ohio University. Professor Vedder, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the show.
2: Glad to be with you. So Professor Vedder,
1: in in 2004, you wrote a book and it was uh, called Going Broke by Degree, Why College? cost too much and it's it's fascinating and the thing that's really interesting about it is that it's you know it's been nearly 15 years since you wrote the book and college has only gotten more expensive in fact the price of college has continued to explode over that 15 year period uh you know can you explain what motivated you to write the book in the first place and what conclusions did you come to uh that you think uh, are just as relevant now as they were when you first wrote the book?
2: Sure. Well, when I wrote the book to begin with, the price of college had already been going up for quite some time, and I wondered why the price of college was going up more than the price of bread or the price of airline tickets or the price of other things that we buy, and I thought it deserved uh, some uh, exploration and explanation, and so I wrote a book. Uh, In the uh, 14 years since then, the problem has only worsened. Uh, there are some new problems and some new issues that have come along, but the, it's mainly the same old issues uh, at a sort of magnified level, and the price of college has continued to rise. It slowed down a little bit in the last couple of years. Enrollments have, uh, have actually tailed off. Some uh, they're starting to decline. Uh, some kids are thinking uh, college isn't worth it and uh, a new attitude has developed a little bit in, along those lines, and colleges are having to fight a little harder to get students. But the problems are still largely the same as they were in 2004. In fact, I'm writing a new book, uh, sort of a sequel to that uh, book you just mentioned, uh, that's going to be coming out next year called Restoring the Promise, uh, American Higher Education, Uh uh, and I uh, will be talking about these same issues.
1: But we talk about this idea of restoring the promise, right? But, you know, when we, when we talk about how the costs of higher education continue to rise, there'll be people who will argue, but so does the value of that degree. Right. That, that for people who have those degrees, that their possibilities of long term and sustainable employment, their possibilities for a long term and sustainable growing income, that that also rises in par with the cost of higher education. Uh, do you buy that argument? And, well, and, for, know,
2: for a long time, that was largely true. Yes, costs were going up a lot, but the uh, earnings differential Associated with a degree was also rising, so it would more or less balanced uh, each other out and the If you want to look at college as sort of an investment, uh, the re- return on that investment was holding fairly constant for a long time, even when I was writing that book in two thousand and four and for some years after uh, in the last few years though that 's less true because while the cost of college has continued to rise the benefits of going to college have 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 stagnated. They're no longer growing. And indeed they've declined a bit. In the last three years, uh, earnings have risen more for kids with less than a high school education than it has for kids with a, a college degree. Uh, that's partly a function of the current tight labor market, but it it, it reflects the fact that people are starting to say uh, maybe I can do pretty well in life without getting a traditional college degree.
1: And you're saying that that, that change is even more uh, severe and also uh, more 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 pointed at community colleges as well?
2: Yeah, it's more poignant. It's more severe now than it was several years ago, and uh, so people are starting to look at different options uh, to the traditional uh, college experience. Uh, Enrollments in American universities, if you look at all enrollments, just to add everything together, uh, they are lower today than they were in 2011, which is seven years ago. And I can't think of any time in modern American history. Uh, where that is that has happened, where we've gone that long with Roman declines,
1: and so the role of so let's talk about then the role specifically for community colleges. You know, community colleges being a, a, a relatively distinct American phenomenon, uh, play this role as almost a, a hybrid bridge between, you know, the, the people who want to go on to the four-year schools, take on four years of, 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 of college debt, et cetera, uh, but then also the people who they would make an argument are closer to the ground and closer to the connections to the workforce. How do you see these trends impacting community colleges and for those students who think community colleges is the right, is the right channel for them?
2: Well, that's a good question. Uh, I've thought that community colleges have the potential of of. Of solving some of these problems. First of all, they're less expensive. They're two-year schools instead of four-year schools. Many of the community colleges are more vocationally oriented, uh, directed towards specific uh, job skill uh, development and so forth. However, if you look at the enrollments in the last few years, the community colleges have actually taken uh, a pretty bad hit. In fact, generally worse than the four-year schools. So, so far, the evidence to date is that kids are not running to community colleges. And one problem is, is community colleges have had a fairly high rate of attrition of students, that is, failure to get degrees. Dropout rates have been fairly high. Uh, They uh, uh, don't have maybe the prestige that four-year schools have, and so forth. So, uh, some people, uh, you would think that people might run to community colleges as a lower cost alternative and a way, therefore, to uh, uh, perhaps get more bang for the buck, if you like. Uh, it, it hasn't shown up in enrollment statistics yet. I still have some hope that the community college will be one option uh, for people looking for alternatives to the four year school.
1: Should community colleges be free in that context?
2: Well, that's a good question. Um, I have generally believed that people ought to pay something for their uh, college experience, uh, and that that community colleges are relatively inexpensive anyway. The tuition is usually. A few thousand dollars a year. It isn't monumentally large, as as it is often with four-year schools, and therefore I I, I didn't I have never thought that the tuition fees were a big obstacle to attending a community college, and uh, there's a fair amount of evidence that when people are paying something towards their own education, they perform a little bit better because they 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 got. If you like, they have skin in the game. Uh, So as a rule, I haven't been a big fan of the free college movement. And also in terms of four-year schools with free college, uh, uh, the beneficiaries are often not lower-income kids but middle- and upper-income kids who uh, uh, are just getting a break uh, on fees and all that they could easily afford. And uh, the, the people attending the schools are not low-income people. They're middle and upper-income people. That's less true of community colleges. And indeed, uh, community colleges do uh, attract uh, people from uh, generally lower-income uh, groups. So the case is stronger for pre-college for, uh, at the community college level than it is at the four-year level. We've been speaking
1: with Dr. Richard Vetter, who is the Distinguished Professor for Economics Emeritus at Ohio University. Professor, this has been great. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. I
2: enjoy being with you. Thank okay. you. Okay, bye-bye.
1: If you're just tuning in, I'm Wes Moore, and you're listening to Future City. On the show today, we've been discussing the changing landscape of higher education, and particularly focusing on the future of community colleges. After the break, We'll talk with New York Times contributor Kyle Spencer about the growing number of middle-class students who are opting for a community college education over student debt at a state school.
0: Stay tuned. Future City is made possible by McCormick and Company, a global flavor company helping teach kids and families in Baltimore how to replace salt, sugar, and fat with healthy flavors through their Flavor for Life program. More information can be found at mccormickcorporation.com. Future City is sponsored by grants from Josh and Janine Fidler and the Baltimore Community Foundation. Future City is made possible by McCormick & Company, a global flavor company helping teach kids and families in Baltimore how to replace salt, sugar, and fat with healthy flavors through their Flavor for Life program. More information can be found at mccormickcorporation.com.
1: Hey, I'm Wes Moore and welcome back to Future City. On today's show, the future of higher education, where do community colleges fit into the mix? And are they the solution to rising tuitions at state and private schools? For some students and for some parents, they think so. In April of 2018, New York Times contributor, Kyle Spencer wrote an article entitled, Middle Class Families Increasingly Look to Community Colleges. Now, that article focused on the growing portion of the population opting for community college education over the high price tag and attached student debt that comes along with a state or private college education. We are so excited that Kyle is joining us over the phone. Kyle Spencer, New York Times contributor, thank you so much for joining us this morning.
3: Oh, well, thanks, Wes. I'm really happy to be here.
1: So I first want to start with a story. And the story I want to start with is Annie's was an 18-year-old mm-hmm. student who you mentioned in your article. She's a student at one of the top-ranked high schools in California, and she's planning on spending at least two years at a local community college before heading to a four-year school. Why did you decide to feature Annie, and what was her rationale?
3: So I actually, um, when I decided to do the story, I thought the best way to handle it was to go to, to community colleges that were luring a lot of middle-class families. And so I ended up... Um, going to some schools, visiting with some schools in Virginia and also in California, two states that actually do have um, an increasing number of these middle-class families coming in to their community college systems. And so it was through them that I was able to talk to a variety of different students and eventually kind of settled on Annie because she seemed to, in many ways to be sort of an unlikely candidate for community college.
1: And when you say unlikely candidate for community college, what exactly does that mean?
3: parents had both gone to college and received four-year degrees. She was um, a student who had done very well in high school. She had gone to a very affluent high school, and many of the students that graduated from her high school went around the country to um, top, top schools, including some Ivy Leagues. Um, but she was making a different decision, and a lot of that decision was um, taking into consideration certain practicalities, mostly money.
1: So Clay Christensen, who's uh, over at Harvard, talks about this idea where he sees part of the challenge of higher education is it's either going to be for the very wealthy or for for those who don't have much at all, because for those who don't have much at all, it'll be subsidized. And for the very wealthy, they'll just be cash payers and that the middle class increasingly gets squeezed in that type of equation. And from what you're saying, that's families like Annie's.
3: Yeah, exactly. It's that middle class family that is looking at these, um, these price tags and they're making, they're, you know, two couples or one, one parent making enough money to not really be eligible for a lot of this financial aid. But it still, as everyone knows, costs $40,000, sometimes $60,000 to send a kid to college per year, which is insane. And um, for a lot of families, it's just not tenable.
1: And so, for what was the, what was the conversation like in the household, for Annie, and also in the community amongst the school advisors and the guidance counselors?
3: You know, for yeah, lot- it's that's a that's a great question. So Annie had a few other friends that were making this decision too, and so I think on a on a on a some level, it was not as hard a decision as you might think. However, she was very clear to me that other students at the school were pretty snobby about this. They, um, you know, sort of looked down on this idea that she was going to go to community college for two years, were not really, um, you know, didn't didn't think that the money issue was enough of a, deci- a reason to do this. And she even said that the school's college counselors were, um, you know, dissuaded her to some extent yeah. um, but to do this.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because these, the school guidance counselors, they'll say, well, we have students going to... Harvard and Princeton and Georgetown and Hopkins uh, to throw on uh, X community college and Y community college. uh, That's the type of thing that becomes problematic for guidance counselors.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, this school was um, in a wealthy, wealthy part of Pasadena and, um, you know, attracted uh, certain types of families that wanted to go to high schools that were sent one of their kids to go to high schools that were sending them off to top schools. And, um, you know, this sort of idea of a community college was not it, it doesn't have a lot of prestige. And I will say, you know, as we're talking about this community college issue, that is a very unfortunate and hopefully changing thing this idea of whether a community college feels like a prestigious decision.
1: So what does a community college have to do to change its marketing? What does a community college have to do have to change its narrative to show people that this is actually a viable option because it creates a viable and an affordable pathway for people to be able to get a four-year degree eventually but know that they don't have to take on mountains of debt when in the first couple years of of, of a four-year school anyway, they're just doing the same type of prerequisite courses that any other student is doing around the country?
3: Right, right. And of course, I mean, and and of course, if you are concerned at all about, well, what does this mean? Are people going to look down on this or employers going to look down on it? um, They're not going to know. You don't have to tell anyone you went to two years of community college. Although, again, hopefully we're going to reach a point where people can say, hey, I did two years of community college because I was thinking about finances. I'm smart financially. I don't want to waste money. This was a practical and good decision. And I went to a good community college. So Some of the things that the community colleges are doing, and I think we'll have to continue to do um, in order to lure more students, is to make sure that they're showing upper-middle-class, middle-class students who are expecting or thinking of high-top four-year colleges that they can get as good an education at community college the professors will be good that the classes will be good that there'll be lots of opportunities the other thing that a lot of folks who are looking at community colleges but otherwise would go to four-year colleges they want and they want campus life they want to have uh, clubs after school they want to have sports teams they want to be able to join a student newspaper they want to feel like they're part of the community and so the community colleges that i talk to in texas and california Virginia, they're offering these types of things. They're offering a big drama department. They're offering hockey teams. You know, they're really trying to to provide those for, for, for students. And the other thing is there are some community colleges now that are offering dorm life so that you could come to the community college for two years and you could actually live on campus.
1: But the challenge of that also is, you know, part of, the, part of the virtue and part of the draw of community colleges is the tuition, right? Is the fact that mm-hmm. tuition is going to be lower. But when you start offering things like dorm life and you start offering things like hockey teams, that then gets adjusted into the tuition conversation, correct?
3: Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, because there's, an, uh, there's a finite amount of money, if you decide you're going to invest money in your drama department or your art department, um, you may be then investing less money in remedial classes or the types of things, daycare for families. You know the types of programs that lower income families really, really need and rely on when they t- come to community college.
1: And so what role, does, what role does early college have and, and, uh, and the idea of, of community colleges being able to have college placement for current high school students so that high school students are actually able to take some college courses, get college credits, uh, also use that as an incentive to be able to both work down their, um, their, their college load, but also be able to you know, get some coursework before they actually go into a college campus full time?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you something. In my experience, um, that both the numbers and also what I'm seeing on the ground, early college is fabulous. More and more students should be pushed towards early college. First of all, early college is really raises the bar for kids. It sort of says, you know, we're not just going to sit here and do exactly what we have to do. We're going to, improve, we're going to increase the level of, 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 of rigor here. We're going to push you. And not only are we going to push you, but we're going to give you some college credit while you're doing it. So there's a real incentive for you to, um, to take on that larger challenge. The um, early college, um, early high school colleges I've seen are just really vibrant places. They're very thoughtful. Um, they're they're encouraging kids to think really about the you know their trajectory into higher ed. And of course, once a student goes through two years of it, they are now have a, essentially a community college degree and can either go on with just that or they can go on for two more years. But um, I just I, I can't say enough. How much of a proponent I am of of, of these of these early um, college high schools just because I've seen such great ones.
1: One final question I have for you is, do you think there's a fear that community colleges can try to be everything to all people and end up failing in the mission for all of them?
3: Yes, that's like such a good question. Um, I think, you know, community colleges traditionally obviously were seen as places for um, first generation college students um, and folks a lot of times who weren't going to go on to four year colleges. Um, community colleges have done in this country a really pretty terrible job of, 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 of getting kids through two years, getting two, three years and graduating. I mean, the, the graduation rates are, are, are horrendous. Um, you know, much less than half actually make it through in five, six years, and of course, um, many of the students actually come in they can't even get out of remedial math and remedial English classes. So, so this question of like, well, well, what, what do we do now? Do we really need to add on, you know, another group of students, um, another demographic? I would say, you know, I, and I actually, yeah, I think that it it is a tough challenge, but. Um, bringing in middle class students onto a college campus, and these are students mostly who have had parents who have gone to college, to have those students inside classrooms involved in campus activities, that is very, very positive for students who come in who didn't, don't have parents who went to college, who don't necessarily know how to navigate the system. Those are the students in many ways can be role models for these students who come in and are not, haven't been such strong students or don't really have a lot of information about what it means to go to college. But at the same time, I don't want to seem patronizing, at the same time, for middle class kids who come in, including Annie, who I featured in my New York Times story, it is really fabulous to be able to experience some of your college life with students who are very unlike you, and and the students I spoke to, middle class students I spoke to said that one of the major pluses of going to a community college was to be around kids of color, students who were low income, um, lots of uh, you know again students who were older, were parents, and these these middle class kids said to me, I've realized and learned things about the world, about this country that I never would have learned if I'd gone from my ritzy public high school to a ritzy. You know, four-year
1: college. It's a great point, Kyle Spencer, New York Times contributing writer. Thank you so much for your contribution today, and for your contribution uh, to uh, to the larger conversation. Truly appreciate it. Thank you.
3: Oh, thanks so much, Wes. I really enjoyed talking.
1: If you're just joining us, I'm Wes Moore, and you're listening to Future City. Coming up. We're joined by Dr. Sandra Curtinitis, president of the Community College of Baltimore County in Maryland and the current American Association of Community Colleges board chair. With her, we'll be discussing the future of community college education here in Maryland and across the country. Stay tuned.
0: Future City is sponsored by grants from Josh and Janine Fiddler and the Baltimore Community Foundation. Future City is made possible by McCormick and Company, a global flavor company helping teach kids and families in Baltimore how to replace salt, sugar, and fat with healthy flavors through their Flavor for Life program. More information can be found at mccormickcorporation.com. Future City is sponsored by grants from Josh and Janine Fidler and the Baltimore Community Foundation.
1: Hey, I'm Wes Moore and welcome back to Future City. So on today's show, we've been discussing the changing landscape of higher education, how state and private college tuitions continue to rise, and how community colleges may be playing an increasingly vital role in our future. And I am thrilled to be joined now in studio by my friend, Dr. Sandra Curtinitis, the president of the Community College of Baltimore County here in Maryland, and also the current American Association of Community Colleges, board chair. Dr. Kurt Naitis, it is great to have you here. Thank you so much.
4: Thank you for inviting me. Happy so I, to be here.
1: So it's great to have you here, and there's no one who's more appropriate to be part of this conversation. Uh, but just to orient uh, our, our listeners, you've been the president of CCBC since 2005. Uh, what changes have you seen during that time, and what was your background prior to coming hmm. into CCBC?
4: Well, let me tell you first. I'm an English teacher by trade, um, 25, 22 years as an English professor at Prince George's Community College, but then I moved into administration, academic officer, president of Quinsigamon Community College for 10 years. It's in Massachusetts, but I love your question about what's what have we done since 2005, because one of the most important things that has been done at the Community College of Baltimore County is to pull three separate very good individual colleges into one, one very strong, large, independent, uh, uh, very influential institution. We now serve 62,000 students, and that I think is the biggest accomplishment that I've been able to engineer because it means that we are actually at the top of our game in a way we couldn't be when we were three separate competing institutions.
1: And so I want to talk a little bit about uh, the students and who the students are, because oftentimes when we talk about college freshmen, the, the idea is these are students who they're coming to campus with their parents and they're dropping off their potted plant and they're picking out which bunk is going to be theirs and they're introducing themselves to their roommates. Um, tell us about the CCBC students. Tell us about your student body and what there should our listeners know about the student body for mm-hmm. CCBC?
4: CCBC student population is pretty much a quintessential representation of the community college population across the country. So average age, 37. Now I said there were 62,000 students last year, half of them in credit degree-seeking programs, half of them in non-credit short-term workplace certification programs. So average age, 37. 89% of our students attend part-time. Very few of our students come directly from high school. So maybe 13% of that uh, 62,000 population will, now it's still a large number, but uh, they they will be traditional age students. Everybody else is very likely a working adult, many single parents, many with families with children, many who must attend part-time because the pressures of a full-time job don't allow them to do that. Growing population of international students. Uh, CCBC is now pretty much a minority-majority institution. We've crossed over the 50% line. And I would say easily 50% of our students work full-time or uh, over 20 20 hours a week, and 50% of them need some form of financial aid.
1: If I asked you that question in 2004, or if if that question was asked in 1994, Mm -hmm. would the answer have been different?
4: It would have been a little different, but actually for us, not so different. I would say the population you described, the entering freshmen, 18 years uh, of age and so forth, probably has not been the traditional population at a community college since the 1970s, and even then, in the 60s and 70s a large, large number of Vietnam veterans were coming back to college and that's where they went, the community college.
1: And so when we talk about that transition in in the 1970s uh, and even the origins, why community colleges were created, why they are this distinctly, you know, uh, American invention, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and why it served and why it was so important. Can you talk a little bit about that transition and how the whole framework of community colleges has evolved since its inception?
4: Yeah, I love that question because it's actually embedded in our mission. There are 1,103 of us across the country, and I like to say we are democracy's colleges because we are open door institutions. So that means as long as you have a high school diploma, a GED, uh, some form of ability to benefit uh, credentialing, you are welcome. So I always like to point out when people Uh, kind of criticize us for so many of our students needing some college-ready coursework through our developmental programs and so forth. The truth is, if you've been out of school for 15 years, you are not going to know what a gerund is. You are not going to remember how to find the square root of nine. You need some preparation. And how unfair it would be to take people who are 37 years old, put them into a, a calculus class, and expect them to perform at a high level when they've been out of school for 20 years.
1: So when we also talk about some changes and 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 transitions that have taken place for students during that time period, uh, what was the tuition for CCBC when you first started versus what mm-hmm. it is right now?
4: I think when I first started, it might have been around $95 a credit, now going into uh, this or coming into this year it's probably about $125 a credit
1: so but if you look at the movement of tuition for CCBC versus the movement of tuition for mm-hmm. a four-year state school or a private institution uh, it's it's we're talking fractions of fractions yes. of movement
4: yes and so one of our strategies which we think is helpful to the communities that we serve One of our strategies is to try to encourage people to come to the community college for two years, or if it takes longer to get a two-year degree, we don't care. Average for us, for our students, is it might take six and a half years of going part-time. But you get an associate's degree, and in the state of Maryland, you are then entitled to use the Maryland Transfer Compact to gain entry to any of the state's public institutions. We build two plus two partnerships. We build all kinds of partnerships to help our graduates move into the four-year spectrum. So our our advertising, our marketing uh, strand is sort of like, come here for two years and spend $3,800 $3,800 a year. Then go any place you want and spend 20000 30000 50000 60000 a year.
1: So, can you go into further detail? Because I think for a lot of people, they don't understand that component of community mm-hmm. colleges. I think. You know, I I, I I graduated from community college and from a two year school and I transferred. Yeah. And that is so foreign for people when they yeah. hear what that means. Can you talk a little bit more about what it means to transfer and and why yeah. that compact is so important?
4: Well, the compact really does acknowledge that an individual has spent two years or or the equivalent uh, getting the two-year degree. Now, lots of our students will come to a community college merely to build their GPA to transfer to a four-year institution. What they don't realize is if you transfer with 35 credits to a four-year partner and then you don't finish your baccalaureate, you have nothing. So the whole pressure right now at least on our, within our sector, is to help students see the value of staying with us until they finish the degree. I, I hate to say this, but out of, I'd say, roughly 13,000 students a year will complete something important to them, a degree, a certificate, a workplace certification, or transfer. So every year, about 6,600 students will transfer before finishing an associate degree. Hmm. We think that's a shame because way too many of them never finish anything. So then they might have a lot of debt, a lot of loans they've taken out, and they've got nothing to show for it. It's good strategy. And we often say, especially to parents of traditional age kids who want their kids to, you know, go to college park and so forth, we often say, look, the bachelor's degree awarded by Towson, College Park, Stevenson, UMBC will be always the credential that student has. And so if you're worried about a community college piece of that, don't. We, our stature is very high. The quality of a CCBC degree is very high. And anybody who transfers to any of our four-year partners will find himself or herself very well welcomed, especially with a good GPA, to get transfer scholarships, really significant transfer scholarships, based on the associate degree.
1: Despite being the community college of Baltimore County, you don't just represent or or educate students from Baltimore County. What's your breakdown for the rest of the state? Because you have people from all over the state. We certainly
4: do. about uh, this past year, about 75% of our students were Baltimore County residents. That means the other 25%. And remember, we're, we're this is a lot when you're talking about 62,000 students. <clears throat> Large number come from Baltimore City because we have a very uh, extensive and robust uh, level of instructional programming that almost nobody else has. Um, you want to be a mortician, you have to come to CCBC. You want to be an an FAA controller, mm-hmm. you have to come to CCBC. So we had about uh, 8,000 Baltimore City residents as students last year, and then <clears throat> from around the state who of people who come specifically for CCBC's programs that have have been endowed as statewide programs because few other institutions or no other institutions offer them. And those students from anywhere in the state Baltimore City, uh, Eastern Shore, doesn't really matter. They attend at in-county rates.
1: And I want to ask you a question also uh, from your your chair of the AACC, the American Association of Community Colleges, HAT. Mm-hmm. Uh, what trends are you seeing from that perch and from that perspective that you think are the most promising and optimistic, and which trends are you seeing that are the most problematic and and worrisome. Mm-hmm.
4: Well, the most problematic is the one you mentioned before—an enrollment decline that has affected all of us, community colleges, four-year colleges, public, private. Yeah, but it—you know—it's because most of us are—we're um, funded in different ways. But the funding here in Maryland is state, county, and student. And the model here is supposed to be one-third state, one-third county, one-third student. And we have yet to reach that. So enrollment decline translates into financial insufficiencies. And if you have financial insufficiencies, you you have to, as the president, as the executive team, uh, we have to make decisions about cutting programs, about uh, reducing services, and so forth. So that's sort of the downside of it. But I will tell you... For community colleges, I mean, most of us are 50, 60 years old. Most of our, our colleges are, are that old. So we're working through many challenges to become 21st century community colleges. But that means adapting to student populations that are different. So. National movement on what I described before, the accelerating of developmental education, helping uh, adult learners move more quickly into the college-level courseware. That's a huge initiative. Our own program is actually replicated probably in about 300 colleges across the country. We're very proud of that. We gave that to our colleagues. Other things like helping students focus better. There's a, a cute phrase that uh, I don't even know who invented it, but it's 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 this. It's students don't do optional. So I know when I went to college, you didn't have much option. You looked at the catalog. You did this the first semester, this the second, and you did that all the way through four years. Well, we got away from that, and we're working hard across the nation with something called a Pathways Initiative, which will sort of return us to that rather simple Approach because a 37-year-old uh, who's who's working as a welder has a family of four. What does he or what what is he or she going to know about how you make your way through the academic um, world? People come to us; they come to us because they don't have the answers, and so we're working hard to reshape our curricula so that they are. More easily followed, they're more transparent. Here's what you take first, here's what you take second, and here's what you build on. It's odd that that's an issue, but it is. And so we have a national pathways movement that's actually working very hard to help faculty, help students understand um, more clearly how they make their way through the pathway, but also without guidance, some of these kids will reach their associate degree level having taken 90 credits. All they need are 60. All that will transfer are 60. So that's an awareness that I think has come. But here's the other thing. I think the Obama, first the Clinton administration opened the door a little. The Obama administration really open the doors for community colleges to be recognized as viable partners in the pursuit of degrees and short-term credentials. I think no matter your politics, I think the Trump administration with its emphasis on apprenticeships and um, internships and putting significant dollars into workforce development, that's actually that's our wheelhouse. That's what we do. I often say, since the day I arrived in 2005, and it's sometimes a little hard for our liberal arts faculty to understand this, but my background is an English professor. I'm a humanist. What I know is workforce development isn't just about creating welders or engineers or nurses. It is as much about educating poets and dancers and musicians as well as accountants and nurses and everything else that goes along with that so our sector and at my college we this is this is our mantra everything we do is workforce development our education agenda is an economic agenda if that's not the way you you know you run your place then you're you're in still back in 1970s and so with all of the funds that are coming now through the federal government to build on top of the Obama initiatives that actually bolster workforce development, we are even in a conversation about having Pell Grant eligible for short-term workplace certifications. This is a first for us and it's actually phenomenal because those 30,000 non-credit students that I have they're not eligible for Pell grants right. in the main. They're not eligible for most of the state funding. They are eligible for some of our college opportunity grants, but if, as the my role as the chair of the National uh, American Association Community College Board, whoa, if I can influence this, or my colleagues on the board, or our CEO Walter Bumpus can influence, and we come out of this conversation with Pell eligible short-term credentials, I will guarantee you, we will make an extraordinary uh, impact, an even greater impact, on the economic well-being of our communities.
1: Do community colleges have the ability to be more malleable when it comes to being able to adjust to where economic trends are going, to where business needs are going? Do they have the ability, because of the proximity? uh to to be the most uh to be the most uh adjustment uh prone yeah. institutions around
4: we do we do and part of that is because our students come largely from our local populations and our industry needs are I mean uh, we know we work closely with industry partners to hear what they need so here's a really good example we have a horticulture program that's been tiny for a long time and Our director began to work very closely with his industry partners. Now that program is growing. But here's the really neat thing the employers, the landscapers, the landscape designers, the people who do this kind of work, they need people with the skills we can give them. We're not, you know, we're not sending, when our graduates finish, They go right back into Baltimore County, Baltimore City, Howard County, Anne Arundel. They don't go back to California or New Jersey. What does that say? That says this investing in the community college, getting your people trained right here, you're going to get them right back to you tomorrow. It's really one of the best things. I mean, I, I, I just marvel that in the 1950s, somebody invented this. And communities and counties all over the country kind of glommed onto it, largely as a way of helping the returning veteran population. But look where we are 60 years later, and look what we do. It's powerful. It's powerful.
1: When people say the measures of success, when people say, well, the, the graduation rate at community colleges are X, mm-hmm. which proves that it's not working, or mm-hmm. the yeah. matriculation rate is Y. Yeah. What are the measurements that you wish people would use okay. to test the efficacy Thank you. of community colleges? Thank
4: you, because the way I like to phrase it is we need multiple measures for multiple missions. So going back to uh, an illustration I gave you earlier, at the end of each year, Our research folks will give me the data on degree completion, on certificate completion, on workplace certification completion, and on transfer. And so every year that's about 13,000 people accomplish something that's important to them. And what I'm pleased about, I was at the um, Betsy DeVos uh, a presentation uh, this earlier this week, where uh, she and her team rolled out some changes in accreditation. But what she said and what her assistant Diane Jones said speaks exactly to what I just said to you. You can't just. An institution that has a mission as broad as ours needs multiple ways to measure it. And so when I look at 13,000 people out of 62,000 finishing something that's important to them, listen, that's not chump change. We work hard to help people know what they want to do and help them meet it. Not everybody wants or needs a degree. Many of them, you want to be a welder, you're not going to get a degree in welding, but you are going to get apprenticeship, journey, you know, all the way up to um, master. You want to be a carpenter, that's what you have to do. You're not going to get a degree. So those things count, and we do them.
1: You won't get a degree, but you'll find long-term employment. Oh, my gosh. You're not going anywhere. Make a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) We've been speaking with Dr. Sandra Curtinaitis, the president of the Community College of Baltimore County in Maryland and the current American Association of Community Colleges board chair, Dr. Curtinaitis. Thank you for being here today, and thank you for your leadership.
4: Thanks so much. Love, Love talking about it.
1: So before we close out, I just want to leave you with a few thoughts on this topic. So I wear two rings on my hands. And I wear them both because I feel like both of them have fundamentally made me better. One is my wedding ring. But the other is a ring from my junior college. So for some people, it's a bit of a surprise that I even attended a community college or a junior college. They know that I did my undergraduate work at Johns Hopkins University. And they know I did my graduate work at Oxford University in England. But it's important for me to share with people that I did not start my college degrees there. There are more than six million people who attend community colleges in this country, which represents over 34% of all undergraduate students. Now, at the turn of the 20th century, this country started a new experiment. And the experiment basically said that not all colleges need to be four-year schools, that some students could get what they need to get from college in just two years of higher education. Juliet Junior College in Illinois paved the way for thousands of other junior colleges, including the one that I attended. Now, I don't believe that everyone needs a four-year degree, not only because I think they are increasingly too expensive, but because I don't believe that four-year colleges are the only ones and the only places that cover down on giving the skill sets to meet society's needs. But I do believe that a student who has just a high school degree or even less is not in the best position to provide economic stability or mobility for their family in the long term. So, supporting the long-term vision and viability of our community colleges that have supported the long-term vision and viability of students like me and millions others like us who have attended community colleges must be a part of how we build and fortify our future city. Future City is an original feature of WYPR. The show airs on the third Wednesday of the month at 1 p.m. and 9 p.m. Future City is produced and edited by Katie Marquette. You can explore past episodes online at WYPR.org slash Podcast Central. For 881 WYPR, your NPR news station, I'm Westmore. Thanks for listening.
0: Future City is sponsored by grants from Josh and Janine Fiddler and the Baltimore Community Foundation.